like pretty much every kid is like, hey, aren't you that little piss boy? Yeah, you're a piss boy. So maybe the retaliation was just like, my son's not a piss boy. Get stuffed into, into a suit. You know what I mean? <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, and those with the good sense to do away with the whole notion, I welcome you to the premier audio medium for all your Fazbear entertainment needs. The Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast. Note, FFPP is not responsible for any loss of appetite, disinterest, dismemberment, or other legally classified statuses. So strap in and enjoy. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast with your host, Rytoast, here to talk about FNAF for the next, like, 45 minutes to an hour. I say 45 minutes to an hour because, again, this is episode three. Not sure how long these are going to be, but um, twice now we've gotten to nearly exactly 45 minutes. So that seems like it might be the sweet spot. I'm not trying to do that. It just kind of happened. Like, that's when I ran out of stuff to talk about. Um, today we w don't have as much housekeeping to go into. Um, like I said in the last one, episodes now at the same time will get published on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, uh, the Amazon one, Amazon Music. I think it's iTunes Podcasts or like Apple Podcasts or something like that. It's on the three major podcast sites and YouTube as well as YouTube Music. Uh, 6 p.m. EST, the best time zone on Sundays. Um, and again, if you have any questions that you would want to be brought up on the podcast or theories you would like reviewed on the podcast, you can send those in at Podcast at gmail.com. The email is in the description as well as links to the show on other sites. Um, but that's all pretty well and good. Remember, if you're sending in a question, uh, please uh, add what you would like to be called in your preferred pronouns so I know who you are or I at least know like how to refer to you while I'm answering the question. There is one very important thing of housekeeping we need to do right up at the top, and it's because we found our outro. Um, I won't say what it is yet. I'll wait until we get to the end. But the outro comes to us from Captain Nuki, I believe, 5985 on uh, in the YouTube comments. It's really good, and we're going to use it. Um, so thank you for that suggestion. It's really nice. It uses the word abilities. We'll get there when we get there. Um, that's pretty much all the housekeeping I had for today. Uh, I will say I'm very tired. If you couldn't already tell, uh, I'm a, a bit eepy. I <laughs> probably should have napped, but, um, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night and I right when I would nap is now, but it's also when toddler toast is napping. And I know that, um, once he wakes up, I'm probably not going to have a great time to record. So I'm like, just tough it out. I'm a big boy. I can stay up the for a full day. I'll be okay. But because of that, you're going to get a bit of a drowsier experience. The voice is going to be a little bit lower, a little bit more calm. Maybe some of you want that. I don't know. Um, but hopefully it's not too off-putting, uh, putting it next to the other podcast episodes before and after it. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all the housekeeping we have for today. So pretty easy, quick. It's only been like three minutes. We can jump right into the content. So let's do it. Today's topic that I brought up was I wanted to talk about like, and granted, each of these children could have their own podcast episode, but I wanted to kind of talk about the confusing nature of like the order of the like important deaths in the beginning of the franchise right a lot of us can agree that like there's really three deaths that kick off a lot of the events of these games and it's the death of william's two youngest children elizabeth afton and the crying child and then it's also the death of 
Charlotte Emily, Henry Emily's seemingly only child, the only one we know of. Um, but those three deaths really kick off the events for the rest of the series. But it's kind of hard to nail down when and in which order they happen. Um, I don't think at this point we have enough evidence to definitively say that like one order is the correct order. Uh, but I think we can, I, I, but I don't think we can't figure it out. Like, I, I mean, what I'm trying to say is I think there are multiple valid organizations of these deaths because there isn't really any clear evidence disproving any of these organizations. So like, I think you could make an argument for pretty much any combination of this. Um, I'm just trying to figure out to me what the strongest argument is today. So that's, the, I think that's the main goal for the topic of today's video before we move on to questions. So we'll go one by one with them and then we'll talk about it. Right. So the one we have the most information on, I would argue is Elizabeth Afton, um, or at least on the circumstances of her death. Right. So circus baby tells us a story where she was holding a party and kids kept coming in and out and in and out. And eventually there was just one child in there. And suddenly circus baby's programming like overtook her embedded personality and something happened. She wasn't sure, but then the girl was gone and there was screaming coming from inside her, but none of the kids around her could hear it. And then, so we're like, okay, so circus baby maybe killed a kid. It's unclear. But then when you play the death mini game and sister location, we see circus baby present an ice cream cone to this little girl. And when she gets close enough, a claw comes from out inside of circus baby and just scoops up that girl. And there's a scream and the mini game ends. Um, so those are like, okay, that's the same thing. And then in the game, we get so much dialogue between every night of this little British girl asking her father why she can't play with circus baby. There's a loud ass car out there. Um, so we connected like, Oh, okay. It's William Afton's daughter. I'm trying to off the top of my head. Where does the name Elizabeth come from? That might be FNAF six. I don't remember if Elizabeth's name is said in sister location. I can't think of it. So it might've been from FNAF six. Um, and we will, we'll mention that before we're done talking about the information about circus baby and Elizabeth. Um, but we're like, okay, it's William Afton's daughter that got killed by circus baby. And then the further backing up evidence of that is like, um, circus baby has green eyes, but in the mini game, which would be before she like killed Elizabeth, she has blue eyes and Elizabeth has green eyes. So like, there's all these compounding factors of like, okay, we're pretty sure that William Afton's daughter wanted to play with circus baby. Circus baby was programmed to like kidnap a kid when they were alone together. And that happened to be Elizabeth. And unfortunately it didn't just kidnap her. It killed her. Um, and so that like, that's pretty definitive. Like it's hard to argue against the narrative that William Afton's daughter was scooped up by Circus Baby and was killed on accident in that process. And then she goes to possess Circus Baby. And like, that's that's very definitive. Um, I would say that's like nearly confirmed. Like that's as confirmed as stuff in this game gets. And then we get further information about it in FNAF 6, where at the beginning of Henry's speech, before it happens, Circus Baby is like gloating, or I guess Scrap Baby in FNAF 6 is like gloating. It's like, you fell for it but I will make you proud, daddy. We're great. And then Henry says, 
connection terminated. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Elizabeth, if you still remember that name. So I think that's where we get the name Elizabeth. I don't remember if it's in sister location itself. Um, but then at that point, like some of the most definitive answers we have in this game is that Elizabeth Afton is William Afton's daughter and she is killed by Circus Baby and then possesses Circus Baby. Like that is very, very definitive. The question is when, right? So there's a couple things about that, but I think bef I think it would make the most sense to talk child death, child death, child death. And then once we have all three of them, we can compare how they interact with each other. I guess we'll talk about very basic timeline placement, right? So for Circus Baby, for Elizabeth, the fun times would have had to have been made already. And it's like, yeah, duh, of course they would. But the fun time animatronics, whether they were originally intended to do this or not, in their blueprints, they've got these, uh, at least Funtime Freddy and Circus Baby, have these mechanisms that you can see like a child inside of. So very clearly, the fun times were created with the intent to, like, kidnap a kid or something. So the question with that, and this is one of those things where do you go with logic or do you go with narrative? One of the big cruxes that we'll get into is, like, why would William have created the Funtime animatronics? And that might be able to help us in figuring out when this took place. Granted, the answer could be he wanted to. He just wanted to make murder robots or kidnap robots, essentially. And that's valid. Like, you can say that. So we'll get into that. Um, other confounding factors, obviously, Elizabeth is dead at that point. So um, things like, I know some people argue the FNAF 4 bedroom, where there's that empty girl's room, implies that Elizabeth is dead. I don't think that's super strong evidence. You could use it as supporting evidence. I wouldn't bank your whole theory on that because, like, she could have just not been there. Because no one else is in the house as well, you know? So there's – she could just not be in the room. It's a possibility at least. Um, and then we – I'm trying to think of any other – off the top of my head. I pulled up some research, but specifically about timeline placement – for Elizabeth's death is a little tricky. I think that's most of it. So we'll move on to the crying child, uh, who we have the second most amount of information about, where we, in the FNAF 4 minigames, we see this, like, kid who is terrified of the animatronics. Very clearly, and uh, important to note, the crying child doesn't seem afraid of the characters themselves because he does have those plushes in his room and he calls them his friends. So it doesn't seem that the crying child is afraid of the characters, but specifically he's afraid of like the animatronics. So I feel like that is an important distinction. Um, but we see that he's like bullied by his older brother, presumably Michael relentlessly. He's picked on, he's made to scream a lot. Like Michael keeps jumping out with the Fox mask at him. Um, and then on the last F FNAF four minigame, we see uh, Michael and his friends pick the crying child up and like in an attempt to bully him, they put his head in the mouth of the Fred Bear animatronic. Now, for a while, I was like, oh, and his tears caused the spring locks to snap shut and bite his frontal and like put him into a coma immediately. That's not necessarily true, right? Because water does make spring locks malfunction. But the Fredbear animatronic was already in animatronic mode, so the spring locks would have already been fired, right? Because the way the spring lock suit works is the endoskeleton stays in the spring lock suit. It just, the springs will hold the endoskeletons to the side, 
like the pieces of it so you can go in the endoskeleton essentially and when this the reason the spring locks will kill you is it snaps shut it puts an endoskeleton where you currently are so if it's already in animatronic mode those spring locks would have already been fired so the endoskeleton is in there it's not the tears that activate the endoskeleton i think it literally just is like it's a happy animatronic opening and closing his mouth you put a kid's head in there it closed its mouth and it just crushes the kid um, so I think that's really what happened um, was just uh, it was just a dumb prank that ended up killing the kid. Um, but that's an important thing to note. It doesn't seem to immediately kill him. It, the most likely outcome is it puts him into a coma, which he probably dies later from. Right. Because in FNAF 4, we see the hospital stuff like the IV bag, the medicine, the flowers uh, in the game itself, we cut to, like, this darkness where you see the crying child, like, hearing people talk to him, which would imply he's, like, in a coma or some kind of coma-like state. Um, so, that's the crying child's death, and that's pretty much all the information we have on it. Um, it does seem possible that he then goes on to possess Fredbear, a.k.a. Golden Freddy. Is that confirmed? in no way it is not confirmed at all it no no nowhere near as confirmed as um circus baby and elizabeth afton right like circus baby elizabeth afton the one of the hardest facts we have in this game crying child fredbear it makes sense right um specifically like if we're playing as michael in most of the games which could be a whole podcast episode on itself then the fact that golden freddy often says it's me could be the crying child reaching out to him Right. Like that does make sense. And then when you look at the parallel with the frights books where you had the stitch wraith, where there's this vengeful robotic thing possessed by someone and then a smaller, like more innocent spirit that can't really see the outside world that well. That's also in that robot. That's where the and that parallel is where we got the whole Cassidy crying child idea from. We're like, OK, this vengeful spirit is in um the Fredbear suit, the thing that we see in the security logbook that tells us its name is Cassidy. That's in the suit. The crying child is possibly also in the suit, but is not able to control it like Cassidy can. It's a weird gray area, not super important to today's topic. Um, something we'll go into in a, a, I'm sure that we can do a whole podcast episode on like golden Freddy who's inside him, you know? Um, but that's most of that. As far as, like, timeline placement goes for the crying child, um, I mean, the strongest piece of evidence is that TV screen that says 1983. Um, it was, like, Fred Bear and Friends, 1983. And, mo and most people agree. Not, not most people agree. A lot of people do think that that says, like, okay, this happened in 1983. I think some confounding evidence that helps bolster that argument in sister location, when we get to the room that is seemingly spying on the crying child, or at least the FNAF 4 um, experiments, then to access those cameras, you type in 1983. So obviously that is an important date to William Afton. So that, I think that backs up the idea that that bite happened in 1983, especially because it seems that it happened in a Fredbear's family diner, not Freddy Fazbear's Pizza, because Freddy Fazbear's Pizza opened in 1983. So you could also argue maybe that's just an important year, but I think it makes the most sense that that bite happens and then Freddy Fazbear's Pizza opens up shortly after, maybe to make up for that like 
big PR hit they just took. I don't know. We'll get into that when we get into the discussion. But that's like the crying child and the surrounding evidence with him. And then we move on to the death we have, frankly, the least information about, and that's Charlotte Emily. So the really we do see it happen, which we see for all three of these kids. Um, it was in FNAF 2 and a lot more like 8-bit-ified, but we see another angle later on. So in the first we see of this in FNAF 2 in the Give Cake to the Children minigame. Now, in the background, it's saying Save Him. And uh, Scott did point out that he did one minor retcon about like this area of the games. And I think it's pretty safe to say that's the retcon because that save him wasn't a boy, but instead is Charlotte, who is a girl, um, at least as far as we're aware. Um, yeah, no, yeah, because Henry says my beloved daughter. So, yeah, um, it would have been save her. But again, this is like FNAF, two, FNAF 1 and 2 are really loosey goosey with the plot. Because, like, Scott wasn't expecting it to be this huge franchise at that point, especially FNAF 1. So, like, if little minor lore details are wrong in FNAF 1 and 2, I'm much more willing to be like, he wasn't sure yet, you know? Um, but outside of Fredbear's Family Diner, and do we know it's Fredbear's Family, Fred Family Diner? No. But we can make a pretty good guess, right? In the books, Charlie is killed at a Fredbear's Family Diner. Every time we've seen a depiction of Fredbear's Family Diner, it's a very basic one-room setup with, like, maybe a side room. In Save Cake to the Children, it's literally a square. In um, the FNAF 4 minigames, it's just a long rectangle with a couple side rooms. In, um, in FNAF 6, in... what What is it called? I don't remember what the minigame is called on FNAF 6, but the Security Puppet. In Security Puppet, we see it's like, at least the angle we see, it's very similar to Save Cake to the Children, where it's that big open room. Um, and then there's the area outside with the big glass door. So, with all of these depictions, it looks a lot like Fredbear's Family Diner. Could it be Freddy Fazbear's Pizza? Yes. But, we'll get into that. But outside a Fazbear location, Charlie gets locked out by like a couple bullies, it seems like, and she can't get back inside. And it's in that moment that William Afton drives up, kills her, and drives away. And then we see in the FNAF 6 um, minigame, by the time the security puppet, which is there to like oversee the children, by the time it gets outside to find Charlie... It's been rained on so much that it's shutting down. Charlie is already dead and the security puppet falls onto Charlie. And we can assume at that point is when the puppet gets possessed by uh, Charlotte and then starts doing all the like give cake to the uh, give uh, the give gifts, give life and like all that thing. And that's when the puppet becomes an active player. And that's backed up evidentiarily by Henry in FNAF 6 in his speech. Right, because when ev throughout the whole time he's talking about Charlotte, it's showing the puppet. Lefty was made to capture the puppet. So, like, Charlie dies and goes into the puppet. That's, like, 99% certain. As far as timeline placement goes, um, it seems like it would have been at a Fredbear's or a Freddy's. It's hard to tell. Um, it's honestly, there's not a lot of good timeline placement for charlotte besides the fact that we know it happens before the missing child incident because the puppet is already there to put the souls into the animatronics so i i hesitate to say like oh 
it happened at this location. It probably happened at Fredbear's. It definitely happened before the MCI. So, um, that's the time. So that's the information that like basic info on the three kid deaths, right? But then we're talking about what order do they happen in? And that's like the big question that a lot of people are undecided on. I think if we get like a game earlier in the franchise, this is probably the question I would want answered the most, or at least more hints toward it the most, is like who dies first, who dies second, who dies third? Because I think it really tells us a lot about the narrative and like the cause and effect of this franchise. Because to me, immediately, I've always argued that the deaths make the most sense to have crying child first. And then you could argue either way for Elizabeth or Charlie. And the reason I say that is to me, the crying child's death was always the most, it was always like the crying child's death is an accident, period. No one tried to kill the crying child. There were no murder robots present. The crying child was being bullied. A dumb prank happened and he died. The crying child's death feels the most like an accident, which means it has the least that needs to happen for it to have happened, right? Like we need the le the least amount of cause for the crying child's death, which makes me just want to put it at the beginning because logically that makes the most sense to me. When we look at Elizabeth and the fun times, granted, that was an accident too, but those robots were specifically designed to be able to kid kidnap children. So if they were designed to be if they were designed to be able to kidnap children, then why? Right? Like why would William have built those? So that already we need a justification for. Um and then you move to Ch Charlotte Emily, William seemingly just rolls up on her, stabs her and drives away. Like William kills Charlotte Emily himself. So there needs to be some kind of reason for that. Like it's it'd be weird if that's the first death in the franchise and he just kills her. Now, I have her justification that um there could be business deals behind the scenes, right? The idea that um there was a merge of Henry's company and William's company and when they mer and like William has this like failing company, they merge and Henry's technology elevates them and while William is getting paid more, the spotlight has been taken so to speak. And like he's in the books, William is feverently jealous of how smart and good at making things Henry is. He like I think the one of the quotes was like the diary he kept about Henry would like on one page call him the devil and on the next page worship him like a god. It was like something like that. So obviously like the book set up that William felt very strongly about Henry. So I've heard the justification that maybe. Um, there's like a business deal situation or like a, a hatred for Henry that causes him to go and kill Charlotte. I think that's part of it. I don't think there's a satisfying explanation without the death of one of William's children. I think at least Crying Child or Elizabeth have to die before Charlotte for me to drive William to kill Charlotte Emily, right? So I'm comfortable in putting Charlotte Emily second or third. And I'm really strongly feeling about putting Crying Child first because it's the accident, right? It's the one no one caused. So then the question becomes, does it go Crying Child, then Elizabeth, then Charlotte? Or does it go Crying Child, Charlotte, and then Elizabeth? 
And that comes down to why Henry, uh, why William built the fun times or why William had the fun times be built. Because I know there's arguments that Henry built them, but regardless, it's Afton Robotics. So it would have been under the, like, William would have been the one to say, hey, build these. You know, it's William's idea, at least. So the question comes down to why. And I personally think that the fun times were built in the efforts of bringing back the crying child, right? Because all of them have this thing about remnant, which is that soul energy that powers like people's souls, but it also can possess the animatronics. And the fun times were all about like remnant and remnant injection. Like you look at the scooper and the first thing it says is that it's a remnant injector, you know? So that feels like experimenting to try to find a way to bring back the crying child. Um, which makes me think that it would have happened after the crying child. But the question then becomes, would that have, would he have thought to do that that early in the timeline? Because you could argue that the crying child immediately possesses Fredbear. Fredbear starts doing these, like you, the golden Freddy starts to happen where it keeps moving around. William sees that and goes, okay, maybe my son possessed this. Let me re try to recreate the bite and see if I can get another possession to occur to study it. But we have no evidence of that. I will say credit to game theory. This is the first time I saw it get brought up. I'm pretty sure it was in a game theory video. Uh, maybe FNAF. I don't remember. Someone brought up that in FNAF 2, in the Save Them minigame, where you're walking around as Freddy, being led by the puppet, you can encounter the purple guy, and it, he charges like the player. The minigame ends, and it just says, you can't. Right? So... That's a cool moment. I never gave it much thought. I was like, oh, William's like stopping them from being possessed or whatever. But the the point that was being made by bringing that up was that that is the first time in the entire series we've had confirmation of a human seeing a possession of, a, of an animatronic. And it would have been William seeing the animatronics be possessed and walking around. So if that's the case, then William possibly wouldn't have known that possession is even an option until after the dead child incident, which would have happened in 1987. But then the question becomes why in the sense of like, why would the dead child incident missing child incident have happened? Why would he kill these children? That gets tricky, right? Because I, I hesitate to say that like, oh, he just started killing kids to get back at the kids that bullied his children. But if the dead child incident and the missing child incident are two separate occurrences, there's no justification for, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's justified to kill five kids that bullied your kid. You know, I'm not, I'm not justifying anything, but there's no like narrative justification for the dead child incident if that's the case, right? Sorry if the conversation is like a, at a different space now because I just I had to take like two minutes to collect my thoughts and think about it. So hopefully it's it's cohesive to go from where I was to right now. But I was thinking about it. I think with Charlotte, I think she does have to come second the more I thought about it because the fun time experiments, I think, only make sense to happen if William knows that possession is a thing that can occur. And I don't see the crying child as like moving Golden Freddy around on his own or like we, we even more than that. We don't have any evidence that William ever sees Golden Freddy being possessed, but we do have a loose evidence, but some evidence 
of William Afton seeing the toys being possessed. And if the toys are possessed, or I think it was Withered Freddy, Withered Freddy was possessed there. If the FNAF 2 animatronics are possessed, that means the puppet is in play, right? The puppet would have had to be there. So if I had to think about the order, I think I would settle on Crying Child, Charlotte, and then Elizabeth. Crying Child being an accident, and I guess that accident could drive William Afton to kill the children responsible. And possibly he'd start the FNAF 4 experiments on Michael as well. Possibly. Um, because I don't think he would kill Michael himself. I don't I, and we have no evidence of that. But trying to like learn more about like why the crying child was so deeply afraid and like the fear experiments and things like that, doing that to Michael as retaliation and also being able to learn makes sense for William as a character. Um, and then he would do the missing child uh, incident where he went around killing the children who were partly responsible for making fun of his, uh, for like bullying his child, or at least maybe it's not the same kids that were bullying him, but like the ones that would make fun of him. Cause like on crying child's way home in the mini games, like pretty much every kid is like, Hey, aren't you that little piss boy? Yeah, you're a piss boy. So maybe the retaliation was just like, my son's not a piss boy. Get stuffed into, into a suit. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then, uh, so the missing child incident happens. And then Fred Bears or Freddy's gets shut down. One of them gets shut down at that point. And I guess that would have to be enough just loud ass car driving by. Sorry about that. And I guess that would also have to be enough justification for William to kill Charlotte. Um, Cause I, I believe that the FNAF six security puppet mini game happens right before midnight motorist. Cause again, midnight motorist being called later that night, being in the same exact rainstorm and seeing the tire tracks at the end of security puppet. I feel like that's such strong evidence for William Afton for the Aftons to be midnight motorist. And I don't know why it isn't talked about as much. Right, because I get Midnight Motorist as itself isn't a super strong case for being about the Aftons. Like, just Midnight Motorist isn't. But the fact that it's so strongly linked to Security Puppet and the guy driving away from killing Charlotte, like, I feel like that nearly confirms it. It doesn't confirm it, but it's such strong evidence for Midnight Motorist to be about the Aftons. But if we are to, uh, I totally lost my train of thought because I went on that tangent. But um, for a long time, I thought that that whole, like, taking in Give Cake to the Children, Security Puppet, and Midnight Motorist, that plot line that we're seeing is William Afton getting drunk at Junior's. I do think Junior's is a bar, okay? Because I just, it makes the most sense. It's a place called Junior's, which already sounds like a bar. It has a bouncer, which a place that... Really, the only places that have bouncers are typically bars and clubs. And then he tries to get there and the bouncer says, sorry, you know, I can't let you in here. You know who's not allowed in bars? Visibly drunk people. Like, I think it makes them so much sense for juniors to be a bar. Because I think what they're what this game, what these mini games establish is William Afton drinks himself stupid after losing the crying child having no progress on the promise that he made him that he put him back together and dealing with what he's become someone who's stuffing these children into animatronic suits after killing them. Like he's become a monster and just drinks himself stupid, gets kicked out of the bar and go uh, and 
at that point, we have this drunk, angry, disheveled man who probably just wants to give Henry a piece of his mind. Like this, this part I agree with. I think the game theory timeline, where like at the, I, I think Charlotte's death is an opportunity, not a planned event. I think William goes to either Fred Bears or Freddy's, and I think it's Freddy's, and I'll briefly touch on why. And wants to just wants to like fight Henry, like he just wants to like yell at him, curse at him, and blame him for what has happened to his life. But when he gets there, he sees Charlotte Emily locked outside, and he thinks. I know if I want to get to Henry, I'll put him through what I've been put through. I'll take his child away. And he kills Charlotte Emily. I, I like, I think that makes the most sense. And then we see him peel off, drive home, come home drunk, shouting like, I let me in your room, like shouting at Michael pissed off. And the mini game ends. Like, I think that's very cohesive. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I did mention, I think Charlotte dies outside of a Freddy's. Why? Um, I think the game presents Fred Bears most commonly, and I admit the alleyway we see in uh, Security Puppet does look a lot like the FNAF 6 alleyway, so that's, that is strong evidence, I do admit that, but I was thinking about it, in the novels, Freddy's and Fred Bears are very far apart. Fredbear's is in like a very rural location, whereas Freddy's is like closer to a city. And it's like a significant drive to get in between the two. And Fredbear's being in a rural location would line up with what we see about FNAF 6 if FNAF 6 is built on the ruins of Fredbear's. And it also would track with FNAF 6 being, or Fredbear's being near the FNAF 4 house, if Midnight Motorist is the FNAF 4 house. Because... In Midnight Motorist, you have this FNAF 4 house, juniors, and then a lot of other space. Hold on, Rai, you said juniors. This would be presupposing that after Fredbear's closed down, it gets bought up by Juniors the Bar. It's a whole thing. I have a whole video on this, and I think it is a really strong argument. But that's why, essentially why I think Freddy's is so far away. Oh, that's why I think Charlotte dies at a Freddy's, because if later that night happens, right after Security Puppet... Later that night is Midnight Motorist, the game where you're driving for a really long time before you get to the secret part of it. So, but regardless, I have a whole video on that. Go watch that if you're interested. Um, but once Charlotte is dead, I think that opens up the opportunity for possession because we see the puppet giving life, giving gifts to the animatronics. And then... We move on to FNAF 2, where we see Williams seeing the result of this, seeing these animatronics be possessed. And at that point, I think the fun time experiments starting to happen makes the most sense. And I could talk about the fun time experiments and what I think they mean. I think I'll save that for another episode, because it looks like we're already at like over a half hour, and I haven't done any questions. So let's move on to some questions. Um, but I think where I'm at right now, I think the correct order of the early deaths in this franchise is the crying child, then Charlotte, then Elizabeth. And I could change. I'm really torn on Elizabeth Charlotte. But right now, I think that makes the most sense. So let's move on to some question submissions. First one comes to us from Venus. And this was from before I asked for preferred pronouns. So um, I'm just going to... Anyone who, anyone who came before... If you don't mention your pronouns, I'm just going to use they, them. Um, and I know Venus mentions that they're gender fluid, so based, same. Anyway, um, but Venus submitted, let me get past the hello part. 
Um, if you could make a few modifications on security breach, example, how information is delivered, what information we receive, what would you choose to change? I know this is a broad question, but I see many creators who bash security breach without following up on constructive criticism. Plus, it's just fun to be creative and imagine the same story told differently. So that's a great question. I... I don't hate Security Breach by any means. I think it's a fun game to play. It's not scary, which is one of my big big gripes with it, which is why I liked Ruin so much. But the issue with the storytelling in Security Breach is kind of the fact that it's a little muddied. Like, you can tell the development hell that it went through kind of left some things on the cutting room floor that were important. Um, I think one of the main issues with the storytelling of Security Breach is because the game was kind of inconsistent with... Uh, location design and with bugs what's included what's been taken out and the that paired with the fact that most of the storytelling is environmental it makes it hard to draw conclusions or at least even point in the right direction because when we have environmental storytelling the way environmental storytelling works is if everything else in that game is so tight and organized and well done that it's very clear what the environment is saying but because of the like slight mess that Security Breach arrived at, we were kind of left to consider, okay, what is environmental storytelling? What is cool set design? And of the environmental storytelling, what is relevant and important and what was left over from when they had to adjust? So I think, honestly, the thing that would make Security Breach's lore a lot more compelling and interesting is something that we can't really change, which would be if it didn't go through the development hell that it kind of went through and having to having too big of a scope and too much ambition and then having to cut back to make deadlines. So really the thing, I think this, uh, the storytelling is fine. Fundamentally. I think they just, it, it got too messy. If the game release was less messy, I don't think the lore would have been as confusing. Um, so that's where I'm at with that, but thank you for the question. Um, moving on to Jaden, uh, he, him just wanted to ask if you had any thoughts on Mrs. Afton theory and how she took over the company. I do. And I'm going to go into uh, Jaden, uh, had two questions. We'll do the second one. I do. I've never liked the Mrs. Afton theory. I think that was my biggest, um, criticism of the game theory timeline. And I don't think it, look, it's not impossible. Here's my main problem with the Mrs. Afton theory. We're taking a question that we have no context or answers for, which is who is the CEO of Fazbear Entertainment? Because I think we can all agree at this point, the CEO is important because someone is pulling these strings. So who is the CEO of Fazbear Entertainment? And we have no answers whatsoever for this. We have no context, no information. So it, you're able to take any answer that we also have no information on and match that up, right? With this, we have no information on. So it can be Billy Bob, it can be Judith, or it can be Mrs. Afton. Because when you take an answer that we have no information on and a question that we have no information on, it works. Like, it just works that way. And that's fair. I'm not saying, like, it can't be Mrs. Afton. But the problem with the theory, in my eyes, is it can or it can't be, and those are completely equally likely scenarios because we know nothing about either of them. Um, I've been of the opinion... <laughs> that what the tales books are trying to tell us is that the CEO was just some dumb rich guy trying to make a quick buck and was eventually taken over by glitch trap slash the mimic one virus. I think that makes the most sense as far as where we are. So that way William Afton is in control of Fazbear again. 
Um, but that we also don't have a lot of information on that. Like that's also very speculative, but at least the books back that up. Whereas Mrs. Afton doesn't show up at all in the books or games. Granted, I will say that I think there are two pretty strong um, pieces of evidence for Mrs. Afton's connection. I say strong, it's very loose evidence, but it's something. And I think it's a good, it, it's, it's definitely one of those pieces of evidence that you look at and you're like, oh, okay, I see that. And it's the fact that um, in the Afton mock-up family, Mrs. Afton is at the head of the table. I admit, that's that's a fair point. That's strange. You would think it would be William. So Mrs. Afton being there is worth noting. And then, um, I don't know if it was mentioned in the Game Theory episode, but the, the theme song for Security Breach, like the main um, trailer music, has a remix. Part of it is a remix of Ballora's song. And while we don't have any hard evidence saying that like Ballora is supposed to be Mrs. Afton, is possessed by Mrs. Afton, is made after her, we don't know. But we know from Elizabeth that William Afton said he made Circus Baby for Elizabeth. So you could argue that the adult woman animatronic was made for Mrs. Afton in the same sense. Like, oh, I made it according to the things you like. So I could see that. I think those are the probably the two strongest pieces of evidence for it. But besides, it's not particularly strong evidence, you know. Um, so I've ne I've never liked the Mrs. Afton theory. Is it possible? Yes. I don't think it's likely. Um, and then going on to the second question Jaden sent in. Recently, I've seen a lot of things hinting that the cupcake is more than it seems. Have you noticed this and what do you think? For example, he's had his own glowing eyes in the movie trailer, bounces around a lot in Help Wanted, and pushes you off the track in Ruin. Not sure if anyone has mentioned it yet. Um, I'm of the opinion that I think the cupcake is just an extension of Chica, just like I think that Bon Bon is an extension of Fre Funtime Freddy. I think the mini Renas and the Biddy Babs are extensions of their, like, I, I feel like the cupcake is just like the will of Chica, like Chica controls that. Um, the only other evident, like the only other explanation I could see uh, is maybe the Susie's dog explanation. So for those of you who don't know, it's pretty confirmed at this point that the name of the girl who was killed and stuffed inside of Chica is Susie. And we see in um, Fruity Maze that Susie is lured to the back room to be killed by William saying, hey, I found your dog. He's not dead. He's back here. So the theory is possibly William killed Susie's dog and used that as bait to lure her. And if that's true does Susie's dog possess something, you know? And some people said Mangle. I don't think that makes any sense. I have seen it said that the cupcake is possessed by Susie's dog. And I could see that, right? Because the cupcake would be Chica's companion. It's something that is with Chica at all times, but it acts kind of animalistic. Like it, it hops around, it bites things. And then in the movie trailer, we see it like biting the dude almost like a dog would. Um, so I could see that, but I'm currently of the opinion that the cupcake is just like an extension of Chica. And also I've been getting a lot of really interesting questions about the FNAF movie, but like I've said on the channel and on Twitter, and I'll say it again on the podcast until the strikes are over. I don't want to, and I won't be talking about the FNAF movie. Um, Blumhouse isn't being struck, but universal who is distributing the movie is. So that's considered a struck work. I stand by the writers and the SAG after actors. Um, so I won't be promoting and I understand like, yes, I'm just like making content about it. So it's not like exactly promoting, but if I'm talking about a product to thousands of people, I feel like that counts as promoting. 
So just to be safe, I don't want to promote a struck work. So I'm not going to be talking about that until the strikes are over, um, which I think they've crossed like 130 days at this point, which is insane. Um, I can't believe these companies are being so greedy. Like for anyone who doesn't know, I'll get off my soapbox. I'll, I'll talk about it just really briefly to give the writers and actors the money they deserve that they're arguing and bartering for. These companies would have to give up like 0.02% of their profit, not of their revenue, of their profit, specifically the money they have after losses and costs. Just of the profit, it would be 0.02% or something incredibly low like that. But instead, these companies are fighting tooth and nail to have their writers be on the street, barely make any money, have to work a second job. And I'll tell you what, it's not just money. It's precedent. These companies know if they agree to give royalties to the writers, which they deserve, then that opens the door for all the other industries that they underpay to also strike. But it's still biting them in the ass because while the writer strike has gone on, Sagrafter has joined. I hear the VFX is try- uh, the v- the VFX industry is trying to start a union, and they're planning to go on strike as well, which is desperately needed. If you don't like the CGI in Modern Marvel, you can directly blame. Disney and the way they treat their VFX artists Um, because the VFX industry is incredibly talented. CGI isn't bad because VFX artists are bad at their job. It's because VFX artists are given three days to do a month's worth of work and paid pennies. So if you want good CGI, you want the VFX uh, workers to unionize and strike regardless. Um, All this to say, I will not be covering FNAF movie news until, or anything about the FNAF movie, until after the strikes. So, I can guarantee you that. I'll probably record it, like, right after so I can get those, um, like, good reactions. Um, But I won't publish any content about it until after the strikes. Um, But anyway, thank you, Jaden. Very good questions. Um, We're running a little long, but I didn't do a lot of questions, so I just want to move on to one more. Um, and we'll do this one from Lucas. Uh, oh, shoot. Okay, so Lucas, did, I don't see the uh, pronouns in the email, so I'll just go by they, them. Um, thank you for your question, Lucas. It was uh, a couple questions. The one we'll be going over is, if you could remake a FNAF game, what would it be and how? Um, and I think this is a good time to bring up that I hate FNAF 2. I have a whole video on why I hate FNAF 2. So many reasons. I, I take back some of those. I think I, I agree that the Withers are generally well designed. Um, but I think FNAF 2, one of the things that frustrates me the most about it is it's very close to being a very good FNAF game. But as it stands, it isn't. So if I if I wanted to make FNAF 2 good, I would keep the pizzeria. I would keep the minigames. The lore in FNAF 2 is pretty good. And honestly, I'd keep most of the character design. I say most. The main issue I have with FNAF 2 is the gameplay and the mechanics. I think it's not fun. Because for all of the animatronics, it's put on your mask and that's it. And then with the puppet, you wind it constantly. So I think the best way to do FNAF 2 and fix it without changing it fundamentally, I would want to fix how you interact with the animatronics and I would want to change how you deal with the marionette. I think those are the two big issues with FNAF 2. So the marionette, as it stands, you have to keep the music box wound at all times. But because it's so aggressive and necessary, that's all you do. 
all you do in FNAF 2 is wind the music box, check your doors, do it on repeat. And that's not, like, super fun. Um, and it also doesn't take advantage of all the really cool um, set designs that you see in FNAF 2. Like, FNAF 2 is some of the best camera renders in the series. But you don't get to see them because if you're not winding the music box, you're wasting time. So I think a way to change the marionette that could make it better and keep that music quality to it. I wonder if it would make more sense to have the marionette travel through the different cameras constantly playing its little like da -da 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 -da, like the pop goes the weasel thing um, and pop goes reference. Anyway, um, use your flashlight on the camera it's in to stun it. And then, and then the mechanic could be like, if you don't stun it for X amount of times, it'll make its way to you, you know? And maybe it starts at the toy room and it eventually gets to your hallway and at that point it's too late. So you want to like find it on the camera with the path that it takes and using the music to be like, oh, it's quiet in this room. It's probably further along. And using the music to be like, it wouldn't be like, oh, you can't see the marionette. You have to listen for it. It would just be like, the louder the music is, the closer to the correct room you are. And I think that would be really compelling because then you're using the cameras. You know, you're actually going from camera to camera. You need to use them. You're trying to find the marionette. And then as far as the interaction with the animatronics, I don't know. I think the mask works really well for the toys. But then the fact that it's the toys and the withers, it's the same exact mechanic, just faster. I think that's kind of lame. So I wonder if maybe we leave the mask for the withers and for the toys we have to flashlight them or something. I'm not sure, I'll be honest. But I think what I would want to keep the mask for one of the sets of animatronics and do a different mechanic for the other ones. So you have to assess your situation, do something, not just hit mask, close your eyes. Um, and as far as uh, character design, I generally like it. I do think the toys could stand to be a little creepier. I think the photorealistic eyes don't work. I think Chica's eyes work, and like uh, a Toy Freddy's eyes work the best, where they have that like black eye with white dot. I think all of them need that. Um, and I, I would honestly argue maybe all of them lose their beaks because Toy Chica taking off the beak works. That open mouth smile with the teeth—that's creepy. Toy Freddy and Toy Bonnie don't do that. It maybe if they took off their snouts and they also got that like open mouth tooth design, I think that would probably go a long way to make them creepier. I don't know. I'm not a character designer, but I think that's where I'm at. And we are now we're over time, but I did talk a lot about the, uh, the dead kids at the beginning. So that's valid. Um, but I think with that, we will wrap up. So once again, thank you all for hanging out. This is the reception to this podcast has been incredible. I am blown away. I thought it was going to get maybe like a couple hundred to a thousand views for a couple months. Meanwhile, last episode is at like 27,000 views, which is insane. Let alone on Spotify, we're almost at like 500 Spotify listeners, which is insane. So I cannot thank you all enough for the amazing reception this podcast has had. Um, I am talking to people to get guests on here. Uh, people have already reached out like, hey, I want to record. The problem is like me being able to find time to record with them. It's just a scheduling thing. We will get them as soon as we can. Um, but again, if you have questions that you want to get talked about on the podcast or theories you want reviewed, go ahead and send them to Podcast at gmail.com. This is the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast. It is on YouTube, YouTube Music, Apple's, uh, uh, Apple iTunes Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, anywhere you listen to your podcast, you can find it there. Um, links to all of that are in the description. 
Um, and like I said, we have that new outro. Thanks again to Captain Nuki. Uh, oh, like Tanuki. Oh, I see. Captain Nuki. I see it. Uh, 5985 on YouTube. Thank you for watching the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast, where the pizza abilities are endless. I hope to enjoy your future patronage. Bye-bye for now.